well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Welcome to another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. My name is Cam Edwards. I'm so glad you're with us on the program today. This episode brought to you by Direct Bullion USA, the new gold standard of gold and silver dealers. You wouldn't let the swamp of Washington, D.C. take your guns, so why would you let them take your retirement? Visit directbullionusa.com today and start learning how to protect your financial freedom by requesting a free investment guide. Secure, protect, and diversify. Get started now at directbillionusa.com. So, believe it or not, we actually have a guest on today's program. Uh, Ryan Petty, Bearing Arms contributor, uh, good friend of the website and the uh, show, and uh, all-around good guy. Also Florida resident uh, and Second Amendment activist in uh, Florida. He's going to join us in just a second because Florida was one of the undisputed bright spots uh, for Republicans and the GOP in a midterm election that had very few of those, quite frankly. Uh, given uh, Ryan's interest in Florida politics and his involvement to uh, some degree, uh, I thought it'd be good to sit down with Ryan and simply find out, okay, so what went right uh, in Florida on a night in which... A lot of things uh, didn't turn out the way that the Republicans were hoping for. Take a look and a listen. Hey, Ryan, how are you doing today? Thanks for coming on the show. I'm doing well, Cam. Um, it's good to see your face. We are in the middle of uh, what used to be Hurricane Nicole. Now, I guess it's just Tropical Storm Nicole. So it's it's uh, raining outside. It's, it, it's a little bit windy, but I think we're going to make it. I'm glad Mother Nature is cooperating. It's not treating you too bad, and the uh, the internet connection appears to be stable. So, uh, knock on wood, that uh, that remains the case for the next few minutes. Because I want to pick your brain about what we saw in Florida on Tuesday. Um, I think overall, it's fair to say this was a frustrating and disappointing night for Republicans. Uh, they did not see the gains that they thought they were going to see, that the polls indicated that uh, they would see. But Florida is. An exception. In fact, uh, you know, early on election night, uh, there were a lot of uh, uh, Democrats. I was following the uh, the contributors at the New York Times who were wigging out uh, looking at the election results from Florida and thinking, oh, no, this is going to be just an absolutely terrible night for us across the country. So I want to ask you, first of all. Just a general question, what happened in Florida? Why did why did Florida buck the trend of a pretty good night for Democrats, all things considered? Yeah, you know, I wish there was just one simple answer I could point you to, but I think it's a it's a combination of factors. So first of all, um, I think many of the macroeconomic trends that that everybody's feeling, you know, those kitchen table issues that that politicians like to talk about, we're certainly feeling those in Florida. Fuel prices are expensive, uh, food and groceries are expensive. All of those things are happening. Um, but we also have a robust and pretty healthy economy. Remember, we didn't shut down like many states did. In fact, we were probably one of the freest states, we'd like to say, uh, with regards to keeping small businesses open and keeping people at work and getting kids back into schools so that would allow parents to be at work. So our economy didn't take the hit that some economies took. But more specifically, um, I guess if you want to point back to something, that would be, I, you know, the leadership of Governor DeSantis in that regard, willing to buck the trend, so to speak. And I'm sure we'll talk about that as we talk about the election night, because he certainly bucked the trends uh, for Republicans nationwide. Um, but that was his leadership, his willing to willingness to tackle those issues that matter most to voters 
and his willingness to lead into some areas, um, call them the culture wars, where other politicians sometimes feel a bit of trepidation uh, to go into. I think all those factors came back to to give him a resounding victory. What was it, 20 points? Uh, amazing victory. Yeah, I mean, it really was. And uh, and again, I don't disagree with anything that you said. I, I You know Florida politics far better than I do, so I don't know a whole lot about you know what, what's going on. But I want to ask you how the gun control debate played out this year, um, because, you know, you look around the country and I noticed I, I wrote about this on a Wednesday morning. No governor who signed constitutional carry into law was defeated on Tuesday night, uh, despite, you know, Democrats trying to raise that as a campaign issue. It just it just didn't stick. Um, Charlie Crist was out there calling for a ban on the so-called assault weapons. He was, you know, he, he was basically he opened up the Democratic playbook for gun control. And Charlie Crist was just reading from that script, right? Uh, whatever you want, red flag laws. I know you already have those in Florida, but, uh, you know, gun bans, magazine bans, raise the age to purchase. Um, Ron DeSantis, on the other hand, <laughs> you know, was out there saying, listen, I'm going to sign constitutional carrying to law uh, before I'm done as governor. Right. If, if I get a second term, that's going to be one of my priorities. Um, and again, DeSantis wins running away with it. Uh, I, You know, I know that Maxwell Frost got elected to a Congress from a very deep blue D district and gun control activists are, uh, you know, excited about that. But look, whoever won the Democratic nomination in that district was going to win that election. I want to know why gun control and why Charlie Crist fared or, or, or what kind of impact Charlie Crist's embrace of gun control and Ron DeSantis' embrace of the Second Amendment had in this uh, gubernatorial campaign. Yeah, it's a great question. So, you know, G Governor DeSantis ran on keep Florida free, basically, was the slogan, right? Let's let's maximize freedom, uh, for lack of a better term. My, my word's not his, but so he ran on on issues that allowed, uh, that spoke to the freedoms that, that Floridians care about. I think he was far more in tune with the average voter in Florida than Charlie Crist, who Charlie was speaking to, let's be honest, he was speaking to his base and his base was not enough to get him uh, over the, the the macro trends in Florida. Look, we had a, an influx of, of voters from other states that came in that were fleeing the kind of, um, let's call it tyranny <laughs> that, uh, that we saw in some other states. And Charlie was speaking to the folks that were you know, the most fearful, the most, uh, you know, wanting to have, you know, government protect them. So he was, but he was speaking to a small cohort of his most ardent supporters and not to the average Floridian. You look at the, the macro trends. Let me just, um, you know, I got this uh, information from the DeSantis communication team today. DeSantis, the, the breadth of his victory is remarkable. Let me, let me walk you through some of the numbers. DeSantis won 62 of 67 counties in Florida. He flipped seven counties from blue to red, the largest flip being Osceola County, which is a county just to the east of where I live, from D14 in 2020 to R plus seven. Wow. This election. So that's a massive <laughs> flip. But even in the five counties he didn't win, let's look at what he did there. Alachua County, which is Gainesville, University of Florida, 12-point shift to Republicans. Gadsden County, uh, just been Democrat since you know, Reconstruction, 
12-point shift. Leon County, which is Tallahassee, 13-point shift. Orange County, uh, which is Orlando, 16-point shift towards Republicans. And, and my old uh, my old home in Broward County, a 14-point shift to Republicans. It, it, it's hard to put into words the magnitude of the shift and the victory in Florida for Governor DeSantis and Republicans in general. Don't forget. There isn't a, an elected statewide official that's from the Democratic Party at this point. They're all out. And there are Republican supermajorities in the Florida Senate and the Florida House at this point. Republicans ran the table in Florida. And when you look at the congressional races here, we flipped a couple of um, uh, Democratic uh, congressional seats. Charlie Crist lost his seat to Anna Paul Paulina Luna, who is now a Republican uh, congresswoman from uh, – from Pinellas County, um, it was a banner night here in Florida, and I think I think you owe it to Governor DeSantis and his leadership during the pandemic, and of course what we saw recently, more recently, right before the election, his leadership after Hurricane Ian. You know, and and you mentioned a couple of things that are Florida specific there, right? I mean, uh, his response to uh, the hurricane, his response, not necessarily response to the pandemic, that, that was something that every Republican governor had a chance to do. But I wonder how, how easy is this to replicate uh, in, in other states? Or are there some innate things about Florida, the fact that you've had this influx of people who are moving to a freer society, um, that gives Republicans an advantage that they might not have in, you know, other current or former battleground states. Because I want folks to remember, it wasn't long ago that Florida was considered the swingiest of swing states, right? And now, as you say, this looks like a, a you know, rock solid red state at this point. Ohio is the the same way, although Democrats were able to flip a couple of seats uh, in Congress. Mike DeWine ends up winning by like 25 points. Uh, J.D. Vance uh, ends up winning by seven or eight over uh, Tim Ryan. Um, so how easy is it for other Republican governors uh, to replicate what DeSantis has done in Florida? I think I think it's easier than they may believe. I think some of the things they need to do and focus on are those culture war issues that, that Ron DeSantis was willing to to lead on. So putting parents back in charge of education uh, what did DeSantis say the night of the election in his speech? He said, Florida is where woke goes to die. Well, look, any state could do that, right? G go tackle those uh, those issues. I think you've got an electorate. You've got independents specifically, right, that are looking for leadership. They're looking for somebody that cares about the issues that they care about as parents, um, as workers. Uh, they care, you know, They care about their jobs in the economy. They care about inflation care about what their kids are learning or not learning at school. So go after and attack those issues. And I think the candidates that are willing to do that and willing to stand up to the media, here's the other, the other I think, element of success in, in the DeSantis strategy is he was willing to stand up to the media, but he did it in a way that was very different than the way President Trump used to do it, right? President Trump would... Uh, would make the ad hominem attack <laughs> against, uh, you know, against the media or whoever was questioning him or his opponents. DeSantis did that very policy based. He'd come back at them, not only questioning the premise of their question, but saying, 
letting them know that, in fact, they had it wrong. And here's how they should look at the issue. So I think if if you'll if you'll take if other politicians, Republican politicians in other states will take a look at those issues uh, and the way that DeSantis handled them. I think that's the formula for success across the country. I don't think that's I don't think what DeSantis did here is specific to Florida uh, as much as many politicians may believe it is. Okay. Ryan, listen, I appreciate uh, you joining me on the program today. I'm glad that the weather cooperated here. Uh, And and so I guess my last question for you is, what do you expect uh, in Florida next year from a Republican governor, from a Republican supermajority in the legislature? Uh, Do you think we get constitutional carry? I I think we do. And it's one of the issues that I know I'll be working on personally uh, in in Florida. And I've already spoken to the incoming um, um, speaker. I've spoken to the outgoing speaker. I've spoken to the outgoing president of the Senate. I will speak to the incoming president of the Senate uh, to see if we can't get that on the agenda as soon as possible. Um, It's something that the governor said he would do. we trust Governor DeSantis at this point. Maybe that's maybe that's something I forgot, but it's trust. He does what he says he will do. And so I trust that Governor DeSantis will push that. There's a couple of other issues that we've got to work on here with regards to criminal justice reform in the wake of the part, you know, the Parkland uh, uh, sentencing and mm-hmm. a couple of other things like that. I I would like to revisit the uh, after Parkland, we lowered the age to purchase a rifle. Uh, or we raised the age, I'm sorry, we raised it to 21. I'd like to take a look at lowering that back down to 18 uh, where it was pre-Parkland. I don't think it's had an impact on, uh, I don't think we've saved a single life. Um, I think we've put a number of 18 to 21 year olds at risk by having uh, that restriction in place. So I'd like to look at that too. But I think my primary focus and our primary focus in in Florida will be the constitutional carry uh, amendment and changes there. All right. Well, listen, I know we'll be uh, covering it. I'm glad we've officially got a uh, buried arms correspondent on the ground in Florida uh, with a a front row seat. Uh, Ryan, again, I'm so glad you're doing well. And uh, congratulations on a good election night for uh, Floridians. Uh, Stay safe and I look forward to doing this again soon. Thank you, Cam. I appreciate Ryan joining us on the program. And uh, I am looking forward to the uh, debate, hopefully a very short debate over constitutional carry in Florida next year, but uh, it would be good to see that law on the books there in the uh, Sunshine State. Uh, And we'll be talking with Ryan again before long. Uh, Right now, though, let's turn our attention to today's Armed Citizen story, our good deed of the day, and our recidivist report. We'll start there with a a case out of uh, California, Chico, California, where a a now 17-year-old who was accused last year of shooting two homeless men Uh, is back out on court-mandated probation. Now, interestingly enough, the 17-year-old, the charges uh, for shooting those two homeless men ended up being dropped because he raised self-defense claims that uh, prosecutors uh, could not refute. So murder and attempted murder charges were both dismissed after testimony was heard. Uh, But uh the prosecutors still wanted this uh, 17-year-old to uh, be sent back to juvenile detention uh because he had been on probation at the time and had violated his prior probation by consuming alcohol, staying up past curfew, associated with gang members and illegally possessing a firearm. Yeah. So take away 
the shootings. The court has ruled that uh, couldn't overcome the burden of self-defense, so let's just take that off the table. Now you've got a 17-year-old who's on probation, who's accused of violating that probation by, again, consuming alcohol. <sighs> Former 17-year-olds who may have had a beer or two shouldn't throw stones at that particular glass house. Staying out past curfew. Okay, maybe. <laughs> Associated with gang members and illegally possessing a firearm as somebody who's on probation, though. Those are the two biggies, right? And yet, uh, even though prosecutors uh, highlighted the juvenile's, quote, below average performance on probation leading up to the shooting, uh, noted his poor behavior while in juvenile hall awaiting trial, uh, and recommended that the juvenile be kept in custody and forced to serve the eight months remaining on an attempted robbery sentence that resulted in probation. That was the uh, first violent criminal charge that uh, this teenager has faced. Uh, the Butte County Probation Department instead said, no, no, no. Let's just put him back in probation and uh, we'll release him to the custody of his uh, 20-year-old sister there in Chico, who may very well be a great person, but I don't know that a 20-year-old sibling I look not knowing anything at all about the family circumstances. Let's just say I'd be a little hesitant about a 20 year old sibling being able to lay down the law to a 17 year old who is already convicted of pretty serious crimes as well as gang association. Um, and the uh, judge went along with the recommendation of the Butte County Probation Department. Yeah. So even though he committed an armed robbery and was sentenced to probation, and since then has been found to be illegally possessing a firearm, a crime in and of itself, by the way, under California law, the judge says, go live with your sister. And I hope I don't see you back here. He extended his probation to the age of 21. I actually told him he couldn't go live with his sister. Said he had to go live with his uh, godmother who lives in uh, another county. Uh, also ordered him to wear a GPS ankle monitor, which, uh, yeah, we know how well that works out. Go to school, be subject to drug and alcohol testing, uh, attend counseling sessions, follow the directives of all probation offices, and be subject to a 3 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew, which apparently, if he violates, nothing will happen. Uh, yeah, the judge warned, though, that any failures on probation going forward would put the juvenile back in custody to serve the remainder of his sentence. Why would he believe that? That was on the table right now. And the judge said, nah, we're going to cut you another break. So why would he believe that there are ever going to be any consequences for his crimes? He's committed an armed robbery. He's gotten probation. He's been caught in illegal possession of a gun. He's gotten probation. What, 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 what has to happen in California before a violent offender actually goes to jail? If they're a juvenile, sometimes probably a little more likely as an adult. But if you're a juvenile, bad, bad boy, don't do it again. Today's Armed Citizen story from uh, Northern Virginia, Fairfax County, where uh, a homeowner shot an intruder who broke into his home on Wednesday night. Uh, Fairfax County police tweeted out uh, just before 7 p.m. that officers were at the scene of a fatal shooting on a Wapples Mill Road in Oakton. Virginia. Uh, the uh, tweets that all parties are accounted for. There's no apparent ongoing threat to the community. Detectives and a public information officer responding to the scene. Uh, Fox 5 in D.C. Uh, reported on a press conference 
held by police uh, Wednesday night in which they say an intruder broke into a home before they were shot and killed by a homeowner. They say the homeowner and the alleged intruder got into an altercation outside before the homeowner went back inside and got a gun. The man then went inside the house with a, quote, large landscaping rock that he apparently intended to use as a weapon. That's when the homeowner shot and killed the man before calling 911. Uh, Police are continuing the investigation, including uh, trying to find out the intruder's identity. But uh, at this point, uh, it looks to be a clear-cut case of self-defense, and uh, we'll bring any updates as they become available. Finally, today, in the right place, at the right time, willing and able to do the right thing. Neighbors in Ohio who were able to uh, come to the aid of a family when a uh, fire broke out. This was uh, Monday in Cleveland. A a woman identified as Miss Vanessa, who is a wheelchair bound, was inside the home when the fire broke out. And a uh, nearby Uber driver who lives in the area uh, named Christopher Baldwin. Uh, apparently uh, was the first to notice the flames. Uh, He said uh, he and a neighbor jumped in to help Miss Vanessa out of the home. He said, it makes me feel good. I just thank God that she's alive. The home severely damaged uh, and uh, is unlivable. Unfortunately, Um, the Red Cross is helping Miss Vanessa out while she's finding a place to stay. But uh, thankfully, she was unharmed. And uh, Baldwin says that uh, he wants to see other folks sort of Pass this on. He says, I want the world and everybody to be visual. Let's start helping each other. Stop all the bickering and the shooting and the hating. So Christopher Baldwin, with a uh, chance to do some good, when he jumped at that opportunity, we thank him for his very, very good deed. Now, that is all the time we've got for you in this edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company. I want to thank you for being a part of the program, as always. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of Bearing Arms, Cam and Company, but... In the meantime, check out BarryAndArms.com, the website, all weekend long, Friday too. I don't really count that as a weekend because uh, we'll be working. Uh, and we're going to keep you up to date on all of the latest Second Amendment news and information that you need to know about. We are also, uh, by the way, running a special promotion right now. If you go to BarryAndArms.com slash subscribe and you use the promo code VIPWEEK, you can get 45% off of your VIP and VIP gold memberships. Now, your support is crucial to our ability to continue our pro Second Amendment independent journalism, and we really do appreciate your support. But we're also going to, you know, thank you for being a VIP and VIP Gold member. You're going to get exclusive news stories, analysis, VIP Gold live chats with myself and Hot Airs at Morrissey every week. Check it out again, bearingarms.com slash subscribe. Use the promo code VIP week. We'll see you soon.